Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, coming to you from Gadigal Land. This is ABC News Daily. The government says private companies and shonks partly behind the huge blowout in how much the National Disability Insurance Scheme is costing taxpayers. It's announced a crackdown to end businesses profiteering from the NDIS, which for the first time this financial year will cost more than Medicare. Today, a disability advocate on what's gone wrong with a scheme which is vital for hundreds of thousands of Australians. My name is Elle Gibbs. I'm a disability advocate and writer. Elle, the government and the Minister Bill Shorten want to make changes to the NDIS. But first, let's look back at when the NDIS was set up, initially by Julia Gillard when she was Prime Minister back in 2013. It was an emotional moment when she introduced the legislation to the parliament. Disability care starts in seven weeks' time and there will be no turning back. I commend this bill to the House. Do you remember that? Can you reflect on that moment? I do. I remember it very well. I think for me it was about all of the work that had led up to that point. So, yes, it was emotional, but I also think for lots of people it was exhausted. People were very tired because it had been a lot of work Mm -hmm. getting up to that point and getting it across the line. But Mm. it was a big achievement to actually get a National Disability Insurance Scheme So before the NDIS, if you had an injury uh, and needed uh, significant amounts of support, what kinds of support you got depended completely on where you lived, what kind of injury you had, even what had caused your injury depended on uh, what kind of supports that you got. So having a kind of individualised support packages uh, program that was national was such a a big uh, achievement for the disability movement. Uh, in terms of getting standardisation and actually meeting the enormous uh, kind of unmet need that was in the community. Australia is ready for a national disability insurance scheme. Thank you. So in the old system, the money went to service providers and they decided who got support and what that support looked like and who was eligible. And in the new system, the support sits with the person with disability. And for lots of people, they were getting support for the very first time and being able to have a lot more control over that support. Mm, And back then, at its inception, it was designed to pay for itself. Yeah, so what the Productivity Commission wrote in their original report was over the sort of decades to come, the NDIS would pay for itself. And the way that they argued that was several fold. So firstly, that families, people with disability would no longer go broke trying to pay for the essential supports that they needed, Mm -hmm. which is what was happening before the NDIS. So that was one part of it. People with disability and families would move into the workforce. That is starting to happen, but the Productivity Commission didn't expect that to happen until the 2030s. So that was part of what kind of economic impact the NDIS would have. And the other part of the economic impact was the jobs that the NDIS would create. And that has certainly happened. So there's now close to 300,000 jobs have been created out of the NDIS. 
Not all of them brand new, but a big significant part of them are new. And the Productivity Commission was very clear that continuing with the old system was going to bankrupt state government budgets in its existing form, that it was ineffective and that the money was not being used effectively. So I think that the the way that we talk about the costs of the NDIS only reflect one side of the balance sheet. But this financial year, the NDIS will cost $35.5 billion. That's more than $10 billion than original estimates. That's a financial failure, is it not? No, I don't think so at all. I think that's a very, um, that's a mischaracterization. I think there are a range of reasons why the cost estimates for the NDIS originally were incorrect. Mm -hmm. One of the main ones was wages for disability support staff have gone up considerably since the Productivity Commission report was written. There are more people getting support from the NDIS than in the original estimates, including a lot more kids. So half the people on the NDIS now are children. Mm. 10% of boys, for example, who are aged five to seven uh, are now getting individualized supports through the NDIS and 4% of girls. And that says to me that something is happening when kids are starting school, that they, so many kids are now needing individualized supports to manage their first couple of years at school. And that says to me that our education systems need to do way better at including kids with a range of disabilities. We're not telling the whole story. We don't talk about roads in this way. We don't talk about defence in this way. You know, and so I don't understand why we talk about the NDIS in this way. Mm-hmm. All of our public services have benefits. We don't talk about a sunk cost in education, for example, as though there is no return for investing in education. And it is the same for disability services. The National Disability Insurance Scheme is not what it should be. For the NDIS to reach its potential, it needs a reboot. The government is, of course, now looking, though, at the financial costs and perhaps some financial problems with the scheme. If left unchecked, the cost of the NDIS will reach $90 billion a year by 2032. That's more than Medicare. One of the problems addressed by Bill Shorten is fraud. We also said that we'd crack down on fraud and we're doing that. Last October, we created a Fraud Fusion Task Force. It's now got 38 investigations underway, involving more than $300 million in payments. How big a problem is rotting of the system, in your view? Oh, look, when it comes to the fraud that's been reported and the evidence around the fraud is that there is a really small amount, like deliberate trying to rip off people with disability and their families. I think that is a small amount of the overall cost. I think there is a problem around the lack of market regulation Mm -hmm. and the profiteering that is going on uh, from some players in the NDIS space. There are some providers who do overcharge for goods and services. Because an NDIS package is taxpayer funded, it is not fair game for the doubling and tripling of prices. It shouldn't be treated as some sort of wedding tax. Tell me about that profiteering. Give me an example of what you mean there. Yeah. So one example is plan management. So, you know, in theory, uh, people with disability are able to go and buy the supports that they need depending on their specific circumstances. 
And so plan management now costs 1% to 2% of the total costs of the NDIS. A lot of these plan management companies that were originally started to assist people with disability in managing their plans have now been hoovered up by large private um, health insurance, by big companies, private equity. You know, in the last quarterly report, the top 10 plan managers were taking $158 million. Now, that's an enormous amount of money for just a quarter, just to approve or disapprove invoices. To deliver the outcomes that will change the lives of more Australians with disability and secure the sustainability of the scheme, we need to deliver systemic reform. Well, Elle, let's look now at what the government and the Minister Bill Shorten is proposing in relation to changing how the NDIS operates. He wants to address the spiralling costs of the scheme, including confronting providers who overcharge for their services, but also looking at supporting more people with disabilities to live at home. Our fourth systemic reform is to review supported independent living to allow people with higher needs to live in their home, but with a significant amount of help. What do you think of his plan? Mm. So there's been a long, long-standing calls as part of market regulation of having an independent price setting and price monitoring authority for the NDIS, and I think that that would be a really good idea in terms of keeping a watch on this and making sure that people are being charged the right amounts. So, for example, often when people need low-cost what's called assistive technology, so say a wheelchair cushion, for example – the NDIS requires them to get like a $4,000 occupational therapy report to justify a $1,500 wheelchair cushion. Now, that kind of stuff has to stop. Mm. We urgently need some kind of strong, independent consumer voice. That doesn't exist at the moment. So there's no kind of choice or ACCC for people with disability, you know, trying to buy services and engage with providers uh, in the marketplace. So on housing, $10 billion out of the NDIS costs are now being spent on what's called supported independent living, and it is mostly used for group homes. So we're looking at homes that are expensive, that people will get hurt in, that people don't necessarily want to live in. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I don't really want to live in a group home. Mm. And we need way more options, particularly for people with intellectual disability. We need way more focus on that. So the NDIS is due to put out their home and living policy very soon and hopefully that will start to put some significant market pressure on actually stopping building group homes and stopping that kind of model of institutional housing and starting to put this $10 billion investment that we're doing already into alternative housing that potentially is a lot less expensive. But L, with about 6,000 people joining the NDIS every month, that's 200 a day, it's not an easy thing to fix. Do you think it can remain viable, financially viable into the future? And how important is it that it does survive well into the future? All the evidence shows, including from the agency's own research, that if you give people with disability and their families more control and more freedom about the money that they have, the support package, they do a much better job about spending it and saving money than if you put more bureaucratic controls. So it's really important that we 
have longer plans, more time for people to actually invest in change so that there can be savings over time. Because if we keep doing what we're doing at the moment, which is more money for providers, more money for bureaucrats and less support for people with disability, problems are just going to stay the same. Mm. I mean, the NDIS is vital. I don't understand, again, why supports for people with disability are talked about so differently than other kinds of public services. I really get quite frustrated around Mm. the media coverage, particularly in conservative media, about the NDIS, as though it is some frivolous scheme that disabled people are using willy-nilly. It is just not true. Elle Gibbs is a writer and disability advocate. This episode was produced by Flint Duxfield, Veronica Apap, Sam Dunn and Chris Dengate, who also did the mix. Our supervising producer is Stephen Smiley. I'm Sam Hawley. To get in touch with the team, please email us on ABC News Daily at abc.net.au. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.